2: This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. We should be allowed to take up space. Not just allowed to take up space. We should be just be taking up space ourselves because we deserve it.
3: In recent years, calls for more diverse representation in Hollywood and show business have grown louder and more frequent. Whether it's April Rain starting the hashtag OscarSoWhite or writer, director, actor Issa Rae using her large following to be rooting for everybody black. There have been many public calls for action around and criticism of the lack of visibility for non-white folks in
2: Hollywood. Without visibility, There's no change. Without visibility, there's no access. So it's really about getting in front of as many eyes and ears as possible to get your story out there.
3: And in order to tell a story, you need to be in the room where stories are written, specifically writers' rooms. According to a 2017 report on representation in Hollywood and in television, of nearly 4,000 writers, 4.8% of them were Black. And over half of all shows have zero Black writers. Mike Goyo is one of the very few who have made it to the inside.
2: We're in this space now. We have to build out these programs for ourselves, because if we don't build them out, everything will remain the same. So we have to kind of like take the initiative to do that.
3: Goyo's most recent job was writing for a little show on HBO you might have heard me shout out on a previous Solvable episode. That show is called Insecure. And today, Goyo is also the founder of a mentorship organization called Black Boy Rights and Black Girl Rights. They help burgeoning writers not only find their footing when entering a largely white landscape, but also offer support and a network as they continue to grow their careers in Hollywood.
2: The lack of creatives of color in positions of power in Hollywood is solvable. I met Issa in... Uh, early 2015 and like she had a mixer at her production company for creatives of color and i went to that mixer met her for all of two minutes but Issa, i mean i credit her to helping me in my career she has always helped up and coming creatives Mm -hmm. and i met several people there that became my people that became my tribe of people she was like you know look to the people in the room to grow with and that's exactly what i did you know And that is my group chat. Like that is, Those are my people. We all came up at the same time. We all got staffed around the same time. We all continue to rise around the same time. And she really helped make that happen. So it's about how are are all these creatives that are out here, creatives of color that are coming up in the business, how they're helping others come up. And I want to be able to do the same thing.
3: Originally you weren't going to be a writer so tell me what <laughs> your aspirations were or what your parents wanted you to be originally
2: you know what i love that last minute correction there cuz it really was my parents i was like my aspirations <laughs> i don't think i i knew what they were until my parents told me what they were <laughs> um no yeah i was you know being groomed to be a doctor by my parents you know from a young age that's the road I went down. Um, I didn't know anything else. But once I got to college and I started taking, you know, uh, theater classes and screenwriting classes, I was like, oh, wow, I really enjoy this. I also came across, you know, organic chemistry and was like, oh, OK, this is this is the enemy. <laughs> <This> is <laughs> definitely not getting past this level. Like,
3: Before you made that switch. You're a child of Haitian immigrants. I am. The earthquake in Haiti in 2010, it bore some influence on making the switch from becoming a doctor to being fully focused on writing. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Ronald did his research. <laughs> Basically, what happened was my both my parents and my sister were in Haiti during the earthquake. So we couldn't reach them for three days. So we were mm-hmm. thinking the worst. Um, at the time, my little brother, who's he's 12 years younger than me— um, He was in my care at the time. So I'm also having to think of like, oh my God, like, okay, my parents can't locate them. I'm like, you know, trying to put aside thoughts about like the the idea of raising my little brother alone. So Mm -hmm. after discovering they were okay and everything was fine and, you know, they eventually flew back to the States, I really had an aha moment of like just life is too short to live for other people. And I was really kind of living... For everyone else but myself. I was living for my parents. It just wasn't working for me. I was really kind of like honestly depressed. That's when I decided to change my major to theater with a concentration in in creative writing. And then I also came out in the same year to my parents, too. So that was (laughs) that was like What was what was that like? For them. I mean, it was man, when I when I changed career path, my mother cried was like i can't believe you're doing this oh you were you know on such a good path now you're writing i don't even know what that is what does that even mean (laughs) and then my dad was like it's gonna be all right just let him fly like let him do what he wants to do he was very supportive in that way and then I was like, oh, fantastic. And then later that year when I came out, like my dad was crying and my mom was like, let him do what he wants. Like you said, <laughs> let him be free. <laughs> I love that. So, <laughs> so, um yeah, that was really a pivotal year for me, not just in my Career, what would become my career, but in my life, you know?
3: Your story really resonates with me because I was in IT for most of my adult life. I'm still fairly new to this job. So I, I, well, you're killing it. uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so making that adjustment was uh, something that w- it was easy to wrap my head around because it was my dream job. But there were some uh, difficulties in terms of switching industries and learning the industry and learning the people around me. Now, granted, I don't think you did a career switch, but even starting this career in this world, tell me what that world was like, especially for you, a black man. Like, what was that like interacting with all these
2: folks? And even though it is your dream job,
3: what was that like?
2: After graduating college, I knew that I wanted to pursue television, I knew I I wanted to move to LA. So I was making plans to move to LA. While making those plans, I was working as a production assistant in Boston. You know, I worked on The Equalizer as a production assistant with Denzel Washington. I worked on American Idol. I worked on a few other reality TV shows. But when I was working on American Idol, who was in Boston for their Boston auditions, I happened to mention a production like, hey, I'm moving to LA in a month and they're like, oh, okay, great. Once you move to LA, come work with us. And I was like, oh, say no more. Nice. <laughs> so once I moved, I had a job, which was um, which was great. But to your question, like when I got here, I felt like, okay, this is the opportunity I was asking the universe for. So I need to kind of really focus and make some connections, start networking. Part of the my success has been building my network, mm-hmm. and what I came to realize very quickly is that my network will dictate my net worth in this business, and it's really about like who you know as well as your talent. Mm-hmm. Some have been able to succeed with with you know <laughs> without both, <laughs> but um, as if you're a person of color, you. Well, most likely you will need both. Mm -hmm. It's hard being a person of color in this industry trying to come up and being able to create some type of like sustainable pathway program for other writers or some type of like access that stays open for us is really important. So
3: much of Hollywood is about who you know. Across all areas of work, researchers have found that people in positions of power demonstrate unconscious bias. That's when we hire people who look like us or have a similar background or path to the one we followed. Some people have a conscious bias, too, of course, which leads to the same result. Doors shut to people of color. In TV and film, the many white writers making it bring on other white writers, who in turn bring on more white writers. Only seven of every 20 writers is currently a person of color. Discrimination is perpetuated.
0: You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards, and they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.
1: with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
4: Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Cowie. what do you say? It was... Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Mike, with your organization, Black Boy Writes, Black Girl Writes, are you seeking to create work and opportunities to overlooked folks in writing? Or is it more that you're trying to teach them about writing? Or is it both?
2: It's really both. Once you're in the program, some of the features include writer roundtables with other writers in the business who are established. And we try to invite as many people that feel like relatable to our mentees, imparting, you know, tips about writing And also just like writer's room etiquette and things like that. Like things you would normally, you would not know unless you were in a writer's room. Mm. But it is also about providing access. Um, You know, these conversations that we're having with these, you know, established writers are like intimate conversations where they get to be free to ask. Any type of question they'd like to ask, they have some face time with the writers, they get the writers um, contact information so that they can contact them themselves and build like a personal, their own like genuine personal relationship with that person. I try to provide them with access to securing general meetings with executives. It's really about creating vis- a sense of visibility for them so that you can get the access that you need. Also, once the program is over, we have an alumni system where we're not going to let you just go off on your own and expect you to fly. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's that thing of like when um, a mother bird like watches their <laughs> baby fly off the, the, the branch, they at mm-hmm. least look down to make sure that they made it. Like they make sure that they're okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as soon as like the program's over and it's really just a year program, the Intention is to keep up with all our alumni and make sure that they are okay. Make sure they've made it. Make sure that they uh, still have what they need. So,
3: Mike, like you, you give them a lot. Like that's a lot to, for a person to get. Like especially starting off as a writer. I imagine that this has to be connected to something that you felt was lacking as you were coming up in the program. Like, man, I wish I had, would have had this. I wonder if you have any stories or anything that are attached to what you did not have and kind of what you had to fight for and advocate for yourself uh, growing up as a young black writer in the
2: game. You know what the funny thing is, Ronald? It's, it's because of what I had that I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? It's because I got you. of people. Yeah. That came up before me who gave me a helping hand. Do you know what I mean? And who like and pulled me up. Yes, I credit my career to hard work and to Mm -hmm. ambition, right? But I also credit it to people who have been mentors of mine and who have kind of like helped me in my career. All I want to do is be able to like really pay that back, pay that forward. I just went ahead with that idea and started pursuing it.
3: Mike Goyo was hardworking and fortunate. He was able to land a job when he first moved to L.A. He was able to mingle with successful black writers, and he could afford to take the time to show up in the places where they were and offer to take them out for coffee or drinks. Persistence, networking, playing the game, it all takes time and effort. Mike, how do you feel about the necessity of a POC community having to build our own networks in order to even stand a chance? That isn't necessarily the case for white folks, or it might be a little more naturally built in for white folks than it is for black folks who have to build our own networks.
2: I think you hit it right on the head in the the last sentence there. It's like it's just they have been able to build it out. In a way that we have not had the opportunity to, or when we have had the opportunity to, you know, Tulsa, <laughs> like <laughs> it gets burned down. So um, I think that it's hot, right? I'm I'm just saying we are getting real. I'm just saying, um, yeah. but yeah, it's 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 not as natural for us, and that's why we have to continue to work at it. But it's this thing of like. We're in this space now where we have to build out these programs for ourselves because if we don't build them out, everything will remain the same. So we have to kind of like take the initiative to do that. Do we have allies who want to help us? Absolutely. But we still have to put ourselves in that space of building that out for ourselves. So I I think
3: some of the stats that come to... Hollywood and writing and show business generally skew largely white. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had that controversy of a uh, hashtag Oscar so white. And in 2019, 2020, 70% of showrunners were men, 82% were white. How does your program helping to address those types of issues or how do you, how do you hope to address those types of issues in the, in the future?
2: It's really about like leveling the playing field and when it comes to access, And that's what I'm trying to provide with the program is creating the access so that there can be more showrunners of color. There can be more, you know, um, high level writers in the writer's room who are people of color.
3: Mike, like I could totally see your program continuing to expand and fill these spaces in a major way. But one thing I'm thinking right now is that you also have an individual career. You're working on your own writing and growth and professional ambitions. So even though your mentorship program is clearly rewarding and important, the burden of this kind of work often falls on us as marginalized people to simultaneously lift each other up while lifting ourselves. And <laughs> that's a lot of lifting, yeah. you know? I'm thinking about how a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this with Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. She runs Therapy for Black Girls, and she talked about how part of showing up for her community was also saying no from time to time and make it time for herself. So how do you strike the balance between helping others and helping yourself?
2: Ronald, you are asking all the right questions. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you're asking questions that I think about on a daily basis. Because right now, I mean, in terms of the program, it's been like a a one-man band. I have a uh, producing partner. Her name is Ashley Aronson. She's fantastic. uh, And who's really helped me build out the the program. She's helped me build the site. Like, she has been fantastic. But the thing is, for the most part, it's just been myself um, putting this program together. And I had some time in between jobs to really be there for my mentees. And I continue to be there for my mentees, but I'm currently in a, in a writer's room now in the process of, of contract negotiations over something that I'm extremely excited about and will share later down the line. And I'm like pitching TV shows and features. It's just, there isn't a lot of time. So I have had to be very uh, conscious of how I allocate my time so that I'm I'm making time for what matters to me.
3: Let's look 5 to 10 years down the line. What does success look like for you Mike personally and what does it look like for the program and for black folks in writing in show business if everything is successful as you as you hope for it to be
2: more content about uh people of color who are experiencing, you know, different things. Uh we're not monolithic, you know, we live varied experiences. Several shows can exist about, you know, a group of friends (laughs) and there not be one (laughs) girlfriend or one insecure or, you know, or one living single, you know, what I mean, Um, equality in the sense of like the, the higher ups, what it looks like, what those numbers look like that you mentioned earlier, like having more women of color running shows, having more LGBTQ individuals of color running shows those things are important. So it looks like true equality (laughs) and it looks like um, a, a, a television slate that's not monolithic or not only catering to one type of way of being black.
3: And what about you personally?
2: Of course, I want the the program to continue uh, uh, to flourish. I want to be able to expand the program to like colleges and high schools, uh, create a a scholarship fund for um, young aspiring writers to to have access to tools that they need in order to get to where they want to be that can take someone who's 10 and has a dream and, you know, take them all the way into the writer's room um, once they're ready. So I want to point out that I asked about
3: your personal goals and where you are in five to ten years, and you still talked about your program, which is that's not oh, lost on me. That's crazy. Okay.
2: <laughs> that's not um, lost on me. It's damn, almost like you're right. Um, I'm, I'm I'm truly always thinking about it. myself, myself. Creating shows, of course. I mean, I want you know to have my own shows on air. I want to be able to to support other. Writers who have fantastic ideas who just can't get a shot, you know, build out more programs (laughs) to help other (laughs) writers um, get to where they'd like to be.
3: Like, I love it. I'm not bad at it.
2: (laughs) I mean, that's it. You know, I I just got here. Okay, (laughs) I just got here, and I'm grateful to be here.
3: So what can our listeners do to help? I'm listening to this and I'm like, man, I want to really support. I care about Black representation in writer's room. Maybe I'm somebody who loved Insecure and like, man, I'd love to see more things like that on television uh, at the same time. What can listeners do to help support this?
2: Listen, there's like over 400 shows on air. Um, So when we're putting our shows on air and we're actually getting a shot watch (laughs) that would, that would really (laughs) help (laughs) to to watch these shows. And even beyond watching the show, look them up, see ways in which you can like help support their careers. Um, Specifically with the program, you know, if anyone out there would like to reach out who are interested in investing and main and, you know, like the idea of this program existing, Uh, and living on for many years, please feel free to reach out to me and contact me because without visibility, there's no change. Without visibility, there's no access. So it's really about getting in front of as many eyes and ears as possible to get your story out there, uh, to be able to build that support.
3: Do you have any uh, reading resources to help become a sharper writer or anything to become a stronger networker, anything that helped you persevere in your journey?
2: Oh my god! Podcasts, the Writers' Room, the Screenwriters' Room. I don't know if you know Hilliard guest. Like he Hilliard is fantastic. He has a fantastic podcast. The WGA has a great podcast. Uh, one of the first screenwriting books I ever got was the Screenwriter's Bible. I suggest every writer have that. Though so I really listen to like podcasts. Podcasts were my thing.
3: Mike, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us.
2: Ronald, thank you so much for having me. This is, this was great. Thank you guys for reaching out.
3: Mike Goyo is a television writer and founder of Black Boy Rights, Black Girl Rights Mentorship Program. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja, Booking by Lisa Dunn. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening.
0: The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry, and me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there.
4: Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids.
0: It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job and we have to find out who did they kill? It had been 15 years since this alleged murder was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the
3: Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling,
0: because I was like, "This this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcasts show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus.